and welcome to Unleash Your Creative Magic. It's absolutely amazing to have you here. I'm your host, Helen Pfeiffer, a published writer of 17 crime novels, both traditionally and indie published. And I'm here to talk to you about the magic of writing, unleashing your creativity and how to set yourself free from being stuck inside the writer's closet. I'd like to share my journey with you from that initial idea for a book to where I am now and all the very messy stuff in between, the highs, the lows and the fuck me this is impossible moments. I hope that somewhere along the way this podcast might be of some use to you. You might even find some inspiration lurking in here. So grab yourself a coffee and come and join me on the writer's couch as we dive right into living your best creative life. Welcome back to episode 19 and what can I say apart from I'm hot and I'm sure you are too. Like so hot I haven't even bothered getting dressed for four days and I've wandered around the house and garden in my pyjamas. I have changed them every day, they're not the same set. And we all did so well avoiding COVID for all this time and then my son bless him came down with symptoms last weekend. We had spent the afternoon in his garden so that meant we had to isolate when his test came back as positive. How scary is it though, knowing your loved ones have this awful virus and there's nothing you can do to help them. Thankfully he's much better now. Although his poor partner has it too so hopefully for them by the time this is released she'll be feeling much better. The plus side is... Well, 10 days isolation for a writer is, I'm not going to lie, heaven. Well, apart from the fact that I can't see my gorgeous grandkids, I'll get to a coffee shop. They're the biggest downsides to it. That and the regular lateral flow tests to check we're all okay. But it's been really useful for me. I said last week I was behind on my word count. So this week, so far, at the time of writing down notes for this podcast, I'm on 23,000 words... So that's 10,000 words since Tuesday and granted most of the time I've just been sitting in front of a fan, too hot to even move but it just shows how much you can get done when you have no distractions. I'm too hot to think of any particular writing advice this week. My brain is literally slush when it comes to talking about anything too technical. God knows what I've written so far in this first draft but hey, the numbers are looking good so it'll be all okay in the end. Have you decided what you're going to do with your book when it's finished? Or do you want to try and get an agent so you can get a traditionally published book, maybe in advance? Although the days of huge advances seem to be a distant memory for most debut writers. It does happen though. I googled it to see if I could find anything to inspire you if, in case this is the route that might be the one for you. And wowie, according to Google, The Day After Tomorrow by Alan Folsom which was um, published in 1993, got a two million advance. Imagine that. Or I should say a two million dollar advance. I'm assuming this is the book that the film was inspired by and it's a pretty good movie. So a round of applause for Alan. Actually, I've got to leave this here because I found a host of novels that got seven figure advances that I'd never heard of. So I'm not sure how that happens or where I went wrong. Answers on a postcard, please, if you know. I'm going to assume it's something to do with not having an agent. And don't get me wrong, I did try really hard to get one in the beginning. But none of them wanted to take a chance on a debut novel. That was a crossover between paranormal and crime. Things have moved on a lot since then, and I wonder if I had the chance now to do it all over again, if it would have been different. Hindsight is a wonderful thing. 
I'm going to ask an agent what's the likelihood of a debut novelist getting into a much dreamt about bidding war and being offered an advance. I'll be back. I messaged the absolutely gorgeous and one of the most amazing agents there is in the UK, Juliet Mushins of the Mushins Entertainment Agency, who represents some of the most fabulous writers you can read, including the wonderful Stacey Halls who wrote The Foundling, which was one of my favourite reads last year, and Richard Osman, the author of the hugely best-selling Thursday Murder Club, which has dominated the Sunday Times bestseller list for most of the year. I asked Juliet, are debut writers likely to be offered an advance for their work, or is this a thing of the past? And Juliet replied, all traditional book deals come with an advance, and royalties, debut or not. In a lot of ways, debut fiction often attracts a bigger advance as it's been based on projected sales rather than a sales track record. So publishers are guessing and if they really want the book or are in a competitive situation, they often guess big. She also said, obviously not every book gets picked up. It is really competitive with tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of new manuscripts being submitted every year. But I checked my stats and I've sold five debuts this year, all with advances. And also not all publishers, especially digital only, do offer advances, but that's across the board from debuts to established. So this is absolutely amazing and very hopeful for anyone who is at the beginning of their journey or even established writers. And thank you very much, Juliet, for taking the time out of your busy schedule to get back to me so fast. So as I was writing this last night and I went to bed, it had me doing a bit of soul searching. And I'll tell you where I think I went wrong with my submissions to agents. Apart from the obvious, it was a bit of a risky genre. Although so was Twilight and look how that story went. What I'd have given to have thought about a family of sparkly vampires. I never saw that one coming. I don't think most of us did. What I know is that I typed out my first three chapters, synopsis and introductory letter. Checked them, put them all in an A4 envelope with return stamped addressed envelopes and sent them off praying they were okay. Now here's the thing. They really did come back almost faster than they went out. And at the time, I had no idea why. I was convinced that these agents would be falling over each other for my story. That was obviously the best thing since sliced bread. And I remember the feeling of fear and excitement ripping open those envelopes gave me. My hands shaking, I would wait until the kids were at school and Steve was at work because I was afraid to cry in front of them. The fear of rejection was brutal and they were all rejections. Some of them were very nice rejections and others not so nice. I literally had no idea where to turn next or what I was doing wrong. I had nobody to ask, and which is part of the reason why I'm doing these podcasts. Thankfully these days we have emails, which is a godsend and takes all the hassle out of submitting and the flipping costs, which was something at the time for me was a little bit of a struggle to afford the printing, the ink, the paper, envelopes and the postage. Anyway, now I realise that first of all, even though I scoured the pages of the Writers and Artists yearbook for agents, highlighting them all with my bright yellow marker for ones who may be looking for what I was writing, I still didn't get it right. So top tip, if you are going to sub your work to publishers or agents, please make sure that they are actively looking for your genre. Otherwise, you're wasting your precious time and they will reject it without even looking at it. 
You have to read the submission guidelines on their websites and follow it to the letter to even stand a chance to get your work looked at. Because as Juliet said, there are thousands if not hundreds of thousands of submissions every year and you have to make sure that your work stands out. If they ask you for your work to be submitted in Arial 12 point and you send it in Calibra size 11, then it shows to them that you couldn't even follow the simple guidelines. And by following those guidelines, which are there for a very good reason, what have you got to lose? Well, nothing at all. There's a fabulous crime festival held at Harrogate every year called Theakston's Old Peculiar Crime Writing Festival. And they used to hold a day on the Thursday, the, the first day, called Creative Thursday. They used to hold workshops run by published writers and it was a, such a good day. And I went quite a few years on the trot before I got myself a publisher. At the end of the day, you could put your name forward to go in a box for something called the Dragon's Pen. There you could, if your name was drawn out of the box, stand up and pitch your novel to two agents and two publishers. Let me tell you, it wasn't for the faint-hearted. But every year I would put my name forward and then sit there quaking in my shoes, kind of hoping that it didn't get pulled out. And it didn't. The very last year I went, I was still quaking in my shoes. But I'd worked so hard on my novel and had perfected my pitch. I was literally determined that I was going to stand up in that room and try my best. It was the same year that I found out that one of my best friends, Kathy, was dying from cancer. And she was only a few years older than me. And it taught me the most valuable life lesson ever. That life really is far too short. And that if you have a dream, you should go after it. Until this point, I hadn't told anyone about my goal of getting my story published. But I mentioned it to Cathy and she told me that she loved the sound of my story and would buy it. But I would have to read it to her because she hated reading and was lazy. She was literally the funniest, most amazing woman I had the pleasure to work with and call my friend. And I miss her dearly. I can honestly say I don't think I've ever laughed the same since we lost her. She was so funny that she'd have me bending over double, laughing so loud that we did occasionally get into trouble at work for being too loud. I told Cathy I was going and she said I was to do my best because she couldn't wait to listen to me read my book to her. And as we, as we waited in that crowded room full of hopeful writers, or I should say as I waited in that crowded room full of hopeful writers, you hear about rooms that are filled with energy and this one was absolutely fizzing with unseen static electricity. I watched as names were pulled from the box with my fingers crossed, whispering, pick me, pick me. And then I heard the wonderful Mark Billingham, who always compared these events because he is equally as funny as Cathy, say something like, and the next name to face our dragons is Helen Pfeiffer. In a millisecond, my whole world kind of imploded and I had to force myself to stand up, not quite believing what was happening. Everybody was clapping because you'll find if you're ever fortunate enough to go to that Harrogate, crime writers, whether published or unpublished, are a very supportive bunch. I was past a microphone and knew I had two minutes, I think it was, to pitch my book. And that, I think, is the single scariest thing I ever did in my quest to get published. One of the agents there is a very high-profile agent, and a very scary one, who represented some of the great crime writers of that time. I rattled off my blurb with my trembling voice, beads of cold sweat on my forehead, and received a round of applause again when I'd finished. Gosh, just writing this is giving me palpitations. I'd literally forgot all about it until now. Very scary agent actually said that she quite liked it 
and would like to read more, which almost made me pass out on the spot. There was another lovely agent who said yes, a publisher said yes, and the other publisher declined politely. I was amazed, shaking in my boots and very glad I'd made it through without having a massive heart attack on the floor. When I went home, I prepped these subs and sent them off as requested. Very scary agent, well, I think it was someone in her office, replied with, thanks, but we don't think it's for us. This genre is not something we deal with. Publisher I never heard back from, and the other agent was very lovely and politely declined. All that hard work for nothing, but I can say that I tried. And I did get some good experience. Now, at this point, I was flummoxed. I'd sent lots of submissions out and been given a golden once-in-a-lifetime opportunity at Creative Thursday, and I was still getting absolutely nowhere. Now, I had two choices. I could rewrite the whole story and take out the paranormal side to it, or I could take out the crime element. In essence, I could make it either a ghost story or a crime novel, but not both. And I thought about this long and hard, like really spent a lot of time debating it, because I was desperate to see this story published because Kathy Blesser was running out of time and she did die before it got published. But I like to think that she was watching and knows that I've managed to do it. Her being terminally ill had given me the kick in the pants to make my dreams a reality, not just for me, but for her. And if she wasn't going to be here to live the life she deserved, then I was going to try my best to do it for her. And another thing she always told me is that we needed to stop working our asses off at the day job and that we should be living our lives and drop hours at work. The day I was able to drop my first shift because my writing income was amazing and I remember thinking that she would be so happy I had done it. So the only thing with doing either of the above meant that I wasn't being true to my story or myself. I had spent a lot of years writing this story because it was one I wanted to read and that I didn't think there was enough of these kind of stories available. So I made a decision that I was going to stick with it. I would persevere until I found someone who believed in this story and loved it as much as I did. Tip number two, you really do have to believe in yourself and your work because there are times when you're going to get knocked back and it's just so tough on you emotionally, but you have no choice. You have to keep on going. So what did I do next? I ended up reading an article by a lovely writer and I can't for the life of me remember her name, but she said in this article that the Romantic Novelist Association had a new writer's scheme which she recommended. I immediately looked them up and emailed a lovely woman called Jan Curry who dealt with the scheme and I emailed to ask her if I would be eligible to join because my novel was primarily a crime one. Jan emailed back and said that as long as there was a little bit of romance in the story then yes I could apply but the opening date for entry was at midnight on the 1st of January. I sat at my computer waiting for midnight to strike like some gothic Cinderella in reverse. Steve even counted down the seconds for me and I hit the button to send my application bang on time. I got an email back a few days later to say I was in. I was so excited. It seemed like a very proper rightly thing to be a part of. I sent off my manuscript and waited for an excruciating five months before it came back. Hang on, I better explain the new writer's scheme. It's where you can send your work off to someone who is a published writer to critique it for you and then they would prepare a report and send it back to you. Mine came back and the report was pretty tough. But what they did say was that the story was good, it had potential and I certainly knew how to tell an exciting story. But 
and it was a big book. My writing was all over the place and I wasn't writing good sentences. They were a little mixed up and sometimes back to front. They recommended some books to take a look at. So whilst I felt a little bit rubbish about the report, all right, I cried at it. I took away the important bits of feedback, which were to relook at my sentence structure. And this was a hugely important piece of information for me and very useful. It was the same year I went to my very first RNA conference. And this, by chance, it was held at, at Penrith in 2012. This is where I booked a last-minute one-to-one with the very lovely Anna Bagley, an editor for Harlequin. And I've talked about this in previous episodes. But basically, because of this one-to-one, this is where I managed to finally get my novel noticed. I suppose attending a one-to-one with a paranormal serial killer thriller at a romantic novelist conference was always going to be a bit of an eye-opener. And thank God that it was. Although at the time I didn't realise, I was just hoping for some more feedback. And it certainly caught on as I, and the rest is history. Top three. Top tip number three. Try and get yourself out there. If you're like me and you live in a giant cul-de-sac at the far end of a peninsula, then it's much easier said than done. And trying to find events in this part of the world for writers really is a challenge. Which is why I jumped at the chance to attend a conference full of writers who were like famous stars to me. I remember standing in the coffee queue next to Carol Matthews and making small talk thinking, blimey, is this really happening? And sitting on the table opposite some of the amazing writers books I'd seen in the shops. I was nervous, starstruck, but I loved it. The same thing at the Crime Festival. I chatted to Mark Billingham, walked behind Val McDermott, Drada Sir Mitchell led a workshop along with Stuart McBride. These were some of my absolute idols. But as nervous and as scared as I was attending these events, It gave me a taste of the life I so craved. Plus, I realised that these legends were actually really nice people, often funny, normal like you and me, except they'd managed to transition from unpublished writer to a published writer. And you can do this too. There are lots of events you can go to now to pitch to agents. There are literature festivals and hopefully you'll find something in your area. I often have to travel to London for events, but the networking at these is invaluable. I went to a blogger meet-up in London and have attended numerous parties held by publishers which basically left me like a country kid in the big city. Wide-eyed, downing glasses of free Prosecco like nobody's business to calm my nerves, but quite literally having the time of my life the whole time pinching myself to make sure this was happening. Now, because of Covid, a lot of these events are held online and I know the fabulous I Am In Print, who you can find on Instagram, offer a lot of live author events and agent events and I'll post the link in the show notes as well for those and Mushin's agency. You just have to search online author events and see what comes up and what is a good fit for you and your story. Well considering I had no idea what I was going to talk about this week I think I've managed that okay which leads me on to indie publishing and so this will be the topic for next week because I have books that I indie published in between my contracted stories. The world, or the writing world, is literally your oyster. There are so many choices out there. So whatever you're doing, take care, try not to melt in this heat, keep drinking water, and keep on writing. Until next time. If you'd like to check out my credentials to see if I know what I'm talking about, then head over to my Amazon page. And if you'd like to join a community of like-minded creatives, then head over to the Unleash Your Creative Magic Facebook group. 
and paste the links in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening. I honestly can't wait to speak to you in the next episode where I'll dive into the process of how I wrote my first book. Until next time.